And please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 will be our focus for today. But I do want to read a larger section. We'll read Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22 through verse 33. I'll read those verses here in just a moment. Well, as I look over the congregation, I see many married couples. I stand before you as a married man, although only recently married, but married nonetheless. And if you aren't married, then you're likely living with a married couple or have probably lived as or with a married couple most of your life should come as no surprise then that the first dynamic of submission that is placed before us in this section, remember we had been given that charge back in verse 21 of chapter 5 to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's no surprise then that this first dynamic of submission that confronts us in verse 22 uh, will be one of marriage. The dynamic between a husband and a wife. And more specifically, as we're about to read, the biblical reality of a wife's submission to her husband. Well, let us read uh, through this section. We'll read through the entire section uh, that deals with uh, husbands and wives. And then we'll focus in on the wife's duty to her husband. Wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let us pray briefly together. Our Father in heaven, we ask for your spirit to be upon us. We ask that your spirit would lead and guide our understanding of your Holy Spirit-inspired word. And we ask, Lord, that your spirit would work on our hearts, that we may receive your word with true humility, that we may receive your word, Lord, illumined by your spirit, and receive it then with true clarity as well. And so, Lord, help us in these tasks, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, our passage today begins with two simple words, wives submit. And these are two simple words that often receive two very different responses. What are those responses? Well, these two words are either embraced in faith, or these two words are explained away. But I tell you, as a spirit-filled Christian, as we considered in the last section of this letter, as the spirit-filled temple of the one true living God, you only have one option when it comes to this passage. You cannot explain it away. You must embrace it in faith. But knowing what you ought to do doesn't always make it easy to do. For we often find ourselves doing what we ought not to do. In fact, that's what it means, in part, to be a Christian. That as we are constantly coming under the Word of God and the Spirit of God, we are constantly coming under correction and conviction. In fact, it's one of the things that the Word of God is profitable for. Not only is it profitable for doctrine... It is profitable for correction and for reproof. Paul expressed the Christian life in this way in Romans chapter 7. He said, For I delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. We see then that even when we know what God commands, even when we know what the law clearly prescribes, there's something in our flesh uh, that wages war against it. Even when there is a, a spiritual desire to do what God says, it is oftentimes an uphill battle as we battle the flesh. And so today, as we focus on primarily these two words, I I want to submit to you that it is a struggle. Not only in our day and age, but it has been a struggle long before that for wives to submit to their husbands. And I won't unpack all that we have before us today in these verses that are on your outline Uh, or at least on the order of service there, uh, verses 22 through 24. I'm going to leave that, Lord willing, for next week. What I want to do today is simply tell you the story, the largest story of wives, of husbands, and of submission that wives owe to their husbands. And it is better then to find our place in this larger story, to let the story of the Bible frame this command. And not let the other stories that are circulating around there today uh, frame this command for us. And so we need to understand the larger story. For there is a larger backstory when it comes to submission. And it's a story that we need to be familiar with. And that's where we're going to spend our time and attention today is understanding the bigger picture of submission in marriage. And so knowing the story first helps us learn the origin of the struggle of a submission. I don't think that uh, 
there's a single married couple that can say that submission has never been a struggle. In fact, as I said those two words, wives submit, as I looked around this room, I didn't see any wife looking at her husband or nudging him, saying something like, see, honey, I told you I'm supposed to submit to you. I told you I'm right in this matter. No, in fact, if any nonverbal communication was going on, it was the other direction. It was that glance over to the wife or that nudge to the wife. See, honey, I didn't make this stuff up. God said it. The Bible said it. Wives, submit. So I'm well aware of the struggle that we have in our personal experiences when it comes to this command. It's not just a struggle of personal experience. It's a struggle that the scriptures capture for us so well. So let's jump into the story. And as we jump into the story, we're going to see that the struggle of submission has a definite beginning. The struggle of submission has a definite beginning. Thousands of years ago, there was a time and there was a place when submission of a wife to a husband was not a struggle. In fact, before there was ever opportunity for there to be a struggle between parents and children, between masters and servants, between leaders and followers, there was a time when the marriage relationship was front and center, when one man and one woman were brought into the spotlight. And guess what? Submission was good, and submission was godly. (coughs) Submission was between two image bearers of God, two people of equal status before God in their being, as they were both created to reflect and to image God himself. So they were equal in essence, made after the likeness of their creator. Nevertheless, the wife was to submit to her husband. And we, uh, we covered this last week that it was Adam who was created first. And there are parts of scripture that will acknowledge this fact and tie then Adam's headship or the man's headship or the husband's leadership simply to the fact that he was created first. And that's enough. But as we saw last week, man was not only created first, but he was instructed by the Lord first, before woman was in existence. And it was only after then that the man who was formed from the dust, and then woman formed from man, that man then instructed his wife on the things of the Lord. So much so that she knew the answer. When Satan had asked, did God really say? She knew enough to to begin to try to decipher between that slimy suggestion of Satan because she had listened to her husband, because she had submitted to him in that good and godly uh, hierarchy and structure that God had designed at creation. Now, God could have formed both man and woman all at once from the dust of the ground together. He could have called them together and said, now listen, this is your task. But he didn't do that. In his infinite power, 
in his infinite wisdom, in his infinite goodness, he formed man first, taught man, and then formed woman, and entrusted the teaching and the leadership, the godly leadership of man to Adam. And so this story is not only a story of Adam and Eve, it's not only a story of the first marriage, it's our story. It's the story of the human race as well. That the actions of the first couple uh, were to set the course for the actions of the rest of the married couples to come. And the disobedience of this first couple would then set the trajectory for the disobedience of couples to come. And we see that that's what happened in this story. That the first married couple sinned. They sinned against God. They, they took the side of the serpent where the woman listened to the animal. The man listened to the woman. And they all disobeyed God. They completely inverted the good order of creation of man listening to God, woman listening to man, and the beast listening to God's image bearers. And so the order and the hierarchy was subverted in the fall, and man and woman fell. The first marriage began to unravel. And we see that unraveling in the accusations that began to fly back and forth, that Adam said it was the woman that God gave him uh, as to why uh, he ate of that forbidden fruit. And of course, the woman then, you know, sloughed the responsibility and said, no, it was the serpent. He deceived me. And I tell you all of this to get to what happens then uh, when God speaks to this married couple after the fall. And when we look at what God says, you can turn there if you'd like. We're in the beginning chapters of Genesis as I'm just giving you the story from the opening pages. We see what God said to this married couple after the fall. And we hear it from God's own lips in Genesis 3.16. He speaks to the woman these words. He says to her that your desire shall be for your husband and he will rule over you. In this verse, in Genesis 3.16, we have the Lord reasserting the original design that the husband will rule over his wife. But the desire of the wife now will be contrary to being ruled. She will seek rather to master her husband rather than have her husband as master over her. And I say that because of the parallel grammatical structure and the parallel words we find in the next chapter. Chapter 4, verse 7. This is the Lord speaking to Cain after Cain had become angry. The Lord issues this warning to Cain in Genesis 4, verse 7. He says, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Once again, the Lord is asserting, reasserting what man must have done even before the fall to rule over sin as it crouches, as it slithers in the grass, as it seeks to become master over you. You are to rule over it. 
just as the Lord reasserted to the male. You are to rule over your wife. But its desire is for you. Its desire is to subvert that rule. And so that's what we have in the wake of the fall. We see then that the, uh, the, the order is still in place. That the original design of man's rule, of man's headship, is still in place. But there is now a struggle in submission. The woman's desire is to overtake, just like sin's desire is to overtake Cain. And so Cain was commanded by the Lord to rule over sin and not be mastered by it. So the husband's duty is reinforced to the wife, that though she desire to master him, the husband is still the God-appointed ruler of the relationship. Man must continue to rule. Woman must continue to submit. But this submission will be contrary to the woman's sin nature. It's not contrary to her God-given nature. It is contrary then to the nature that she has in the wake of the fall. And we're going to see that man's uh, nature is completely marred and uh, tainted by sin as well. And we'll get there in the weeks to come. But realize here that there was a time, there was a place when submission was good and godly before sin entered the world. And now, once sin has entered the world, submission is still commanded. Submission is still reinforced by the Lord. But now it is recognized that it will be a struggle. The struggle of submission had a definite beginning in the wake of the fall. Well, it not only had a definite beginning, uh, but the struggle of submission is also ongoing. And that's the second reality I want us to recognize. And I want to warn you that the struggle that is ongoing is not the same struggle that is advertised by the world. For instance, listen to what one feminist author has published. Her name is, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly, but Adichie. And she has written a feminist manifesto of 15 suggestions on how to raise a feminist. Number three of Adichie's suggestions is this. Teach her, that is teach this young girl that you're raising to be a feminist, teach her that gender roles is absolute nonsense. Teach her that gender roles is absolute nonsense nonsense. Now, to be fair and accurate, there is much baggage uh, that gender roles has accumulated, and much of that baggage is absolute nonsense. There's no doubt. However, just because something in the God-given reality that we live in is abused, it does not mean we must throw it away altogether. It doesn't mean we must label it all absolute nonsense. This kind of thinking is epitomized in the phrase, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That phrase reminds parents that just because the water is now dirty, it doesn't mean you should throw out all the dirty water and your baby. Drain the water, keep the baby. 
Well, gender roles have accumulated the filth and taint of human sin, no doubt about it. But we fool ourselves and we forget that we, we, when we think we have the Midas touch, that everything we touch is going to turn to gold. No, everything we touch, even if good, is somehow impacted and tainted by our sin. And that's the same thing when it comes to gender roles. Everything we touch when it comes to gender roles in our fallen human nature becomes impacted by our sin. But rather than listening to the world to diagnose the struggle and then to give its prescription, we must listen to the word of God and see that the prescription is not eradicating gender roles and submission between genders. It is always and only eradicating sin. That's the prescription that the Bible gives us. Don't eradicate the gender roles. Eradicate the sin. Don't eradicate the submission. Eradicate the sin. And so as we come to speak of gender roles and gender responsibilities in light of these roles of wives and husbands, there are two things we must do. We must recognize who created the roles in the first place. Who constructed them in the first place? If they were only man-made or cultural constructions, then Adichie could potentially be right, that they are absolute nonsense. But if these roles are made by God himself, if these roles are constructed by the creator of the universe, then gender roles are not absolute nonsense. Gender roles have the ongoing perpetual validity and dignity that God has given to them. And that's what we saw as we began in the big story of submission, having its uh, beginning in the garden before sin. And the submission was between a man and a woman. Specific roles with specific responsibilities given to these roles. Not human constructions, not cultural constructions. Constructions by the creator of the universe. Therefore, we cannot eradicate these roles. Rather, we must eradicate the sin that has tarred and marred the beauty and the function of these roles. In other words, we cannot do away with these roles by placing them in the bin of absolute nonsense. Rather, we must recognize that they have been corrupted and abused by sinners like me and like you and like everyone who walks the face of the earth. We must understand that this is not a radical feminist problem or a toxic masculinity problem. This is a human problem. This is a sin problem. And thus we must endeavor to put sin to death. And not the God-created, God-constructed, good and righteous and absolutely sensical, perfect gender roles that the Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures teach. And so as the struggle of submission is an ongoing battle, we must make sure that our sights, the scopes of our weapons, are on the right target. That they are on the right enemy before we pull the trigger. For if we don't, we run the risk of friendly fire, shooting our allies in the fight, and thus helping the enemy in the process. And so we do well to note that the battle 
is not a battle of the sexes. It is not a battle of male versus female. It is not a battle of male versus female gender roles. Or we could put it this way. It is not a battle between flesh and blood. In fact, as we continue to read through this letter of Paul to the Ephesians, after he gives us the roles and responsibilities of wives, of husbands, of children and of parents, of servants and of masters, he moves seamlessly into the next section of spiritual warfare. I'm putting on the complete armor of God, of praying in the Spirit. He reminds us that the battles we fight as the people of God are not battles of flesh and blood, but they are battles against the schemes of the devil. They are battles against the rulers and authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Paul, as he's writing this letter, is not jumping into the battle of the sexes to claim victory for males in their defeat of women. It's not a battle of the sexes, but a battle of the spirits. Not a battle of toxically masculine males versus radical feminists. It is something entirely different. It is a battle of spiritual warfare. It is a battle of following the slimy suggestions of Satan to stir up strife and dissension in marriages. Not a battle of male versus female. And so as we consider the struggle of submission today, it is not a struggle of the sexes, but it is a struggle of our indwelling sin, the spirit of the age, and the spiritual evil of the enemy. And so the battle lines then are not between husband and wife. The battle lines are between a husband and wife versus Satan, versus sin, versus the world. The marriage is not to be divided. The marriage is to be unified in their fight against sin. And this shouldn't shock us. We're going to see in the weeks to come that Paul is drawing one of the most beautiful parallels and analogies between marriage and the relationship between Christ and his bride. Uh, we're gonna, we, we understand the church uh, to be one that is militant in the here and now and will one day be triumphant uh, in glory. And that, that's often how marriages must be viewed as well, that there's a militancy to marriage, that there is a battle to fight, and it's not against one another. That's against evil and sin as man and woman unite as one flesh to do battle against the devil. And the beauty of all of this then is that as the struggle of submission uh, is ongoing in your marriage and you remember that it is not a battle of flesh and blood, you actually have the infinite resources of God to fight this battle. That you have his spirit, you have his armor, and you have his wisdom uh, to not uh, buy into the false battles of trying to eliminate gender roles, of trying to uh, level God's good design and structure in marriage. 
but rather you can rely on His wisdom and His Word. You can rely on the strength of His Spirit. You can rely upon the armor that He provides to protect you from the fiery darts of the evil one. And so the struggle of submission is ongoing, but the supply lines of this struggle in submission are through the Holy Spirit, the Lord of glory. They're complete. Uh, They are infinite. And because of this, because of who supplies our battle, because of who ultimately achieves the victory, we need to thirdly recognize that the struggle of submission has a definite ending. The struggle of submission will not go on forever. Because sin will not go on forever. Sin, Satan, the world will come to an end. Only righteousness will continue to live forever. And this is perhaps where we see some of that great parallel to the church. As Paul even wrote about the bride of Christ in the verses that will follow this section on wives submitting we see that the church will one day be presented in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. There will come a time when the church, when wives in the church will be holy and blameless. No more taint of sin. But submission will continue. The church will continue to submit to Christ for all eternity. And so we see then that the struggle of submission will come to an end in glory when sin is eradicated, but there will be a glory and a beauty to an everlasting submission that the church will continue to manifest as she submits to Christ. All this to say... Submission is not something that must come to an end. Submission is not defeat. In fact, submission is the very way in which the triumph and the glory of the church is presented. That in the church's submission to Christ, she will one day be that beautiful and resplendent bride that he came to redeem and to wash and to sanctify for himself. That is the purpose of submission. Submission to one's head does not bring about defeat. Submission to one's proper head brings victory and triumph. The triumph of the church and the triumph of women is secure in them submitting to their heads, their husbands. The way of closing then, I remind you of this simple fact that peace will not come about in your marriage by eradicating submission or the gender roles that Scripture has provided. Peace only comes by endeavoring to eradicate sin. The problem is not submission. The solution, according to Scripture, is submission. The problem is sin. The solution is is godly submission. And the glory of the church will one day be unveiled in her complete submission to Christ when her will and her actions are completely aligned with his righteousness. 
Then she will be resplendent. Then she'll be without sin. And therein lies the true beauty of the church. Therein lies the true beauty of wives. And so wives submit. Submit as in that act of godliness you display your true beauty as women of God. As he's created you and as he will one day glorify you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are working in the church a greater submission to the righteous rule of her husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that in that picture we begin to see the victory and the beauty of submission. And we ask, Lord, that we would ever keep that picture fresh in our minds. That, Lord, as wives struggle, even hearing those two words, wives submit. Lord, that there would be a dignity. That there would be an honor that would begin to well up in their minds. That they may see that it is a position of great honor and holiness and godliness to submit to rightful authority. Lord, help your church to model that for the wives in the church. Lord, as the church is to submit to Christ in everything, for that is what the submission of wives is predicated upon, and that they are to submit in everything to their husbands. Lord, we ask that you would grant your church a greater spirit of submissiveness, a greater spirit of obedience to come under the rightful authority of Christ, our head, and to submit ourselves to him. Lord, we pray for the spirit of submission then to be upon not only the wives today that are here in our midst, but Lord, may it be in your bride the church here, and the church the world over. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.